to taking the party out of politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it should be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little bit more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better. Perhaps even a lot better. This is a little journey we're taking together about the systems and functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand because those systems affect all of our lives all of the time. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better. Now, in season one, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. This is season two, in which we're looking at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. Looking ahead in season three, we'll be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Now, importantly, when we get to season three, we'll be sharing our ideas, but also sharing some of the best of your ideas about how to make things work a bit better. So today, we're going to have a look at what it's like if you do manage to get elected. The short answer is, it's confusing, it's poorly organised, and it's not very efficient. Let's start with the Westminster structure. The Westminster structure, and particularly culture, isn't really working. It isn't helping our representatives to do a good job on our behalf. In fact, a lot of the time, it's actively making it difficult for them to do a good job. And when they are able to do a good job, it's more often despite the system than because of the system. Well, let's look at why that's the case. And perhaps that will help us to start to think of ways in which we could tweak the systems we currently have to make them work a bit better. Let's start with what it's like when a newly elected MP first turns up at Westminster. Now, when you start a new job, your employer will, almost certainly, spend some time making sure that you understand what is expected of you and making sure that you understand how to do your job. Or at least any employer who actually wants you to be able to do your job well will do that. As a newly elected MP, far too much of this is just left up to the individual. And there's an awful lot of it. On the practical side, most MPs will be representing constituencies which are not in London. So they'll need to start off by sorting out somewhere to live and perhaps work out how the changes are going to affect their whole family. They also need to set up offices and to hire staff for their new London base because even if they had a team and a base back in their constituency, an awful lot of their time is now going to be spent in London. And then they need to find their way around the Palace of Westminster, what we call the Houses of Parliament. Now, like many old buildings, it's a bit of a maze, to say the least. Some people say that it takes up to seven years to truly find your way around. The membership of the House of Commons is one thing, but MPs are also a member of their political party's parliamentary party. Now, this means that they also have to deal with all the other people and all the other systems within their parliamentary party. The biggest challenge here might be the party whips. Now, these are the people who organise the parliamentary party, who enforce discipline. 
The most well-known example is that the whips ensure on the issues in the House of Commons. They ensure that party members vote in the way which has been approved by the party. However, the party whips also do things like allocate office space, tell MPs where they need to be and when, and they allocate positions on committees. We'll be talking a lot more about committees later on. Within all of these practical issues, where to live, how to find your way around, being told what to think, MPs also need to work out what they actually have to do for themselves and for their constituents. In other words, it's only after sorting out some fairly major practical things that MPs can even start to think about doing the representation bit of their job, which is, after all, the bit they're really there to do on our behalf. Now, the Speaker's Conference on Parliamentary Representation says that an MP is both a legislator, that means debating, making and reviewing laws and government policy within Parliament, and also an MP is an advocate, that means representing the interests and concerns of their constituents and constituency. As well as this, some MPs will become ministers within the government. Again, we'll talk more about ministers in a later episode. Some will become members of committees, and some will have formal roles within the parliamentary party. For example, some of them are going to be party whips. The thing is, there's no official explanation of how an MP will do all of this. There's no guide on how much time they should spend on this activity or that activity. There isn't even anything about what happens if they're not doing well enough. Now, if you start a new job, you would expect to be told what good performance looks like. In fact, you would probably have a pretty good idea even before you start a new job. What's expected of you? What time you should be at work? How much or how fast or how many is expected of you? The problem is that an MP can be very busy all of the time, but might not actually be achieving anything very much. At any moment, an MP might be taking part in a debate in the House of Commons, meeting constituents, campaigners, journalists or ministers, attending different functions such as campaign launches, sitting on a select committee or a bill committee, tabling parliamentary questions, writing articles for local or national newspapers, or trying to gather support within their own parliamentary party for something that they want to do to influence party policy. Now, without guidance, perhaps even with guidance, how would you know which was the most productive thing to be doing? If you'd wanted to be an MP in order to make a difference, how would you know if you were doing the right things in order to actually make a difference? Well, few MPs think that Parliament functions particularly well. So with all of the practical challenges of getting organised and doing anything, let's take a quick look at how MPs can try to make a difference. How does an MP get anything done? In fact, when it comes down to it, the way to make a difference often ends up being all about becoming a minister, or a member of a committee, or to have some other special job, rather than being the representative of the people who voted for you. And to become a minister, or to be on a committee, or to have some other special job, you have to make sure your party understands that you're a really committed party member. And that means doing what you're told. Voting the way you're told to vote. Saying what you're told to say. Otherwise, why would your political party give you a more important job? But that means 
not saying what you think or believe necessarily. It means saying what you're told to think or believe. Apart from directly representing their constituents on particular issues, the most important reason that we elect our MPs is for them to make good laws or to improve the existing ones. There are two ways in which this can happen. First, there's participating in debates in the debating chamber of the House of Commons. This is probably the image we have when we think of MPs in Westminster, sitting on the green leather benches, shouting at each other and waving bits of paper around. Second, there's taking part in all the preparatory and background work on laws in smaller groups called committees. These committees are smaller groups of MPs, with the numbers of each party on each committee approximately proportionate to the number of MPs each party has in total. For example, if party A has 400 MPs, and party B has 200 MPs, then there might be four MPs from party A and two MPs from party B on each committee. We'll look more closely at how these committees fit into the parliamentary processes in a future episode, but let's just make a couple of observations now from the perspective of the MP. First, time on a committee can seem pretty pointless. Now, if you're from party B, and you only have two members on a committee, you're almost always sure that the four members from party A are going to outvote you. Now, at first glance, this might seem to be right. Party A got more MPs, even allowing for the problems we looked at earlier in the ways in which our electoral system doesn't work properly. And so if party A got more MPs, well, maybe party A should be able to control what happens. Well, the problem is that this all becomes a sort of a bullying ego competition. New laws are mostly put forward by government ministers. In this example, ministers from Party A, the one with more MPs. Even if a new law has a problem, the committee members from Party A are not instinctively going to want to criticise their own minister. In fact, they may be actively pressured by the minister and by those party whips who manage and organise what the MPs from their party are supposed to be doing and saying as much of the time as they can. Well, those MPs may be actively pressurised to treat all the criticisms from Party B as being merely politically motivated, when, in fact, at least some of the criticisms might be about the ways in which the laws have been poorly designed, even if Party B doesn't agree with what the law is trying to achieve. So whether you're from Party A, pressured to follow the minister's wishes, or from Party B, outvoted at every turn, your time on the committee can seem pretty pointless. Second, there isn't enough time anyway. Government ministers, and again we'll talk more about ministers in later episodes, government ministers are normally in a hurry to make their mark. A bit like a dog in a new garden which has a a wee in each corner marking their territory. The average tenure for a government minister is only 18 months. From the perspective of the individual minister, you can sort of understand why a minister might be in a hurry to make their mark. Their whole political career might have been building up to this opportunity and they might have only a few months. As a result, though, legislation is often prepared in a rush and then rushed through committees. The committees are supposed to be the place where a small group of MPs has a really careful look at the new laws and tries to pick up on any problems, either with the objectives of the new law or with the ways in which the new law is trying to achieve those objectives. But ministers, well, they want to get on with things and get their new laws into place, what we call into statute. Remember, they've maybe only got 18 months, maybe less. 
Now, the amount of detail which an MP on a committee is expected to process and understand is almost impossible. All of that means that new laws are not being properly scrutinised and we often get bad laws or laws which are not effectively achieving what they're intended to achieve. We'll talk more about this later in our episodes on the blunders of our governments. And it's still worse once it gets to the main debating chamber, where all the MPs are voting on all the laws, even if they weren't involved in the smaller, focused committee looking at each law in detail. Even given this, it can be surprising how little time MPs actually spend on scrutinising new laws. The largest share of an MP's time is spent on constituency business, such as meeting constituents or attending constituency events. MPs might spend as little as 21% of their time in the debating chamber of the House of Commons. But is even this small proportion of their time really being spent productively? Scrutiny in Parliament is terrible, says former Liberal Democrat Pensions Minister Steve Webb. You definitely get bad legislation coming out. On Standing Down in 2015, Frank Dobson told an interviewer, quote, Over the years, I've developed a lower and lower appreciation of the place in terms of effectiveness. By place, he means Westminster. Our record on passing laws that achieved what was claimed they would achieve when a minister introduced them is absolutely pathetic, quite frankly. Even if you don't agree with the laws, at least the bloody things ought to work. And so frequently, they don't. Unquote. So let's take a step back just for a moment. In the last episode, we looked at how we might think the process works for someone becoming an MP, and we looked at what the process is actually like. If you remember, it isn't just about standing for an election because you're a good person who wants to make a difference. It's about being part of the political party machinery, probably with a career in and around politics, so that you can get that political party machinery to campaign for you and to work to get you elected. Well, what about being an MP? Does that work the way we would expect it to? Well, as you might have guessed by now, and by what we've discussed so far, not really. So we said that we would think that an MP gets elected, arrives in Westminster, and tries to make things better, represents their constituents, scrutinises legislation, checks up on the government, in select committees, the House of Commons, and does a good job, gets a pat on the back, and maybe stands down and does a different job. Or perhaps stands again and goes back campaigning. Well, as we said before, life isn't actually like that. Assuming with all of the backing of the party machinery, you get elected, you arrive in Westminster. First of all, what happens is you probably get lost in the place. Then you get ordered around by the party whips and you spend an awful lot of time trying to work out how to manage your time before you even get to the point of trying to make things better. Well, representing your constituents means being in the constituency Saturday to Monday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday only. Scrutinising legislation to try to make better laws. Well, remember, the opposition is going to be blocked for the government. The government people on the committees, they're pretty much patsies. They're told what to do. And the ministers, the executive, they're in an awful rush to push things through. The checking up on the government in the select committees. Well, the select committees are good if they're allowed to do their things. But remember, the party whips are behind them. And the House of Commons, when it gets to the House of Commons, the party whips are telling the MPs, vote this way, vote that way, do what you're told. 
So an MP, at best, is doing the best job they can in the circumstances. And throughout all of this, they're going to get abuse online. They're going to get abused as a group. Because it's tough being a politician, and we as, a, as voters, well, we're not very patient a lot of the time. If you're not doing a good job, maybe you get dropped by your party, deselected. Maybe you get voted out by your constituents. So what did you achieve in the end? What was the point of it all? And what is the lesson which this dysfunctional system drills into MPs? Well, the lesson is pretty much the only way in which an MP is really going to be able to make their mark is to be in the executive, having power, being part of the government. Just being an MP isn't enough because you just get told what to do, how to vote, or your vote doesn't make any difference. In fact, the system presents MPs with three rational courses of action. MPs may not even be aware of how the system pressures them into choosing one of these, or perhaps a combination of them, but it's happening anyway. First, climb the greasy pole, which means become a minister and have your chance to make your mark. Or two, get out, give up. Or three, coast. Keep a low profile, don't bother about it too much, and see if you can get re-elected without too much fuss next time. Now, climb the greasy pole, get out, or give up. None of these is really good enough. In fact, none of these is good enough at all. So if the system is pressuring MPs into following one, or even a combination, of three unsatisfactory courses of action, we should look at how we should adjust the system, or at least adjust the ways in which we use the system. Becoming an MP is hard. Being an MP is hard too. The systems seem to start off making it hard for an MP to do very much, and those systems are certainly not helpful. The systems then seem to encourage MPs to go down one of three different routes, none of which is really what we would want them to be doing, at least not as their primary course of action. No problem in becoming a minister in due course, but if you have to compromise what you're doing and saying all the time, just to curry favour with your political party, so that you get your chance to be a minister at some point in the future, well then you're not really thinking and working on behalf of your constituents. You're just doing what you're told by ministers and by party whips. In other words, you're just allowing our democratic people's power to be concentrated in the hands of just a few ministers and party whips. And that's not the point, not at all. Unless, of course, you have some different ideas, some suggestions as to how things could be different, perhaps about how we could use our systems differently or about how we could tweak them so that they worked better in all of our interests. If you do have any ideas, we would love to hear from you. In Season 3 of Taking the Party Out of Politics, we will be exploring various ideas about how we could make things better, and we would love to hear from you. Just email us with your ideas on info at talktogether.info. If your ideas are good, or if they help us to understand things more clearly, then we'll include them in Season 3. We might even contact you to interview you about your suggestions. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Next time, we're going to look at Parliament, how it's supposed to work and how it actually works. For now, thank you for listening. If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of the podcast, including links to all of our sources and references, please go to www 
www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we can make things better, or if there are any areas of how politics is supposed to work but why it isn't working, then please email us anytime on info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people find us, it just really also makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you.